love that. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our Abide series. And as soon as I catch up here myself, I don't know where you're at with abiding and with the, the current material of our series, but for me it's, it's been very impactful and been certainly something that uh, I have resonated with myself, and I hope that you continue to do that as well. So far we've talked about what it means to abide, uh, the definition of that. So if, if you're not caught up, I'd encourage you to go back and watch some of those because uh, we're building off of what we've talked about in the past. Last week we talked about... Uh, God the Father's role in abiding, and if you remember, uh, what we discussed is that we're going to be basically walking through the, the Trinity, the Godhead, and each of their roles in the abiding process, because I believe in Jesus' metaphor, that's very much what he was very purposely doing, is talking about each of, uh, part of the Godhead and their role. This week, we're going to discuss the Son's role in abiding, uh, God the Son and his role, but more specifically, we're going to talk about how do we draw life from the true vine? Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. And so how do we draw life th from that? Because we are identified as the branches. And obviously, uh, it would be of vital importance for the branch to know and be able to draw life from the vine. Because without the vine, we are nothing. Without the vine, we don't exist. And we certainly uh, don't have any efficacy in our life. So today we're going to discuss very simply, if you're, if you're somebody who likes to try to remember what we talk about, how three ways to draw life from the true vine are studying, following, and connecting. Three very simple ways. They're not a sum total. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list of ways to draw life from the true vine, uh, but they're the three that we're going to talk about this morning. I believe it's not even worth discussing how to draw life from the true vine unless we start with studying the Word of God. Studying is the first, and I would argue, one of the most important aspects to drawing life from the vine. Jesus says in John fifteen ten, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It's pretty hard, uh, it becomes very difficult to obey God's commands if we never read His Word. And we actually have no idea what he's actually said, what he's told us to do. It's pretty hard to follow that, uh, to follow what God has told us to, if we never know it in the first place. See, seems like pretty much common sense there. Uh, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I hear so often so many people uh, communicating, they just don't know where God's taking them. They just don't know where to go. Uh, and... I guess I understand the concept, like if you were out in, in a very dark place, but you had a flashlight, you can at least see where your feet are. You can at least see the next step. And I, I, I wouldn't, I'd be uh, confused, I guess, if somebody was complaining, well, I can't see all the way out in the distance, so I can't move. And if you were in that dark forest or dark place, it, you had a flashlight, you'd say, well, you can at least see where your next step is going to be. You can at least be sure you're on solid ground. And that's what the Word of God is. And, and yes, it can be frustrating not being able to see five years down the road, not being able to see a week down the road. If God's calling us to make a decision to take a step and we don't know what the next one is, yeah, that can be frustrating. And it can be a little bit fearful sometimes because we don't know the future. We don't know beyond that. 
But God is saying, what I'm concerned with is where your feet are. Are they on the solid rock? And I'll show you what the next step looks like. Looks like, And sometimes that's all he gives us, is the next step. But that's what the Word of God is for us. If we're into the Word of God, if we're studying the Word of God, um, then it becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. See, the Word of God isn't some dry, dusty, dead old book. That's what the world wants us to believe, that it's just some historic book that was written a long time ago and really has no relevancy for today. If you talk to people in the younger generations, uh, the culture is doing its best to convince them the Word of God is outdated and no longer relevant. It is becoming, look at any of the statistics, the, the more time that goes by, the younger the generation is, the less they trust in the Word of God being the true, authentic Word of God. The reality is it's one of the most essential parts of drawing life from the true vine. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Any of you ever reading the Word of God and it just destroys you? Just wrecks you where you are? No one has to, you know, you don't have to watch a sermon on it. You don't have to hear some fancy theologians, you know, Greek interpretation of it. You're just sitting, reading the Word of God, and it hits you in the heart harder than any sermon, any, anything ever could. I know I've been there where the Word of God just messes up my whole day because I'm just hit with the reality of what it is. And that, that's what this Hebrews passage is talking about. It's not saying the Word of God is a weapon you can stab people with. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, if you, if you don't know what a two-edged sword is, is you had to be very proficient with a two-edged sword because if you hit something and you weren't doing it right, it'll come back and get you. And the other edge can cut you. And the Word of God is, it is saying, it, uh, piercing the, to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This Word of God is living and active, and it will show us things in ourselves that we don't even know. It will illuminate things within our character, flaws within who we are, wrong ways of thinking, better than anything else ever could. That's what the Word of God is. It's not dead. It's not dry. It's not irrelevant. It is still alive today. And if you are giving the Word of God its due, if you are studying the Word of God regularly, it will come alive to you. And so if you're somebody who thinks, wow, well, the Word of God, it's just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand the hype. When I read it, I don't understand what it says. It's just not there for me. Then you need to abide. You need to draw in to God because, as we'll talk about later, understanding doesn't come from a Bible degree. I promise you that. Understanding comes from God himself. And the longer we spend with him, the more the Bible makes sense. For some of us, the reason we don't understand it, the reason we can't comprehend it, is because that's all we're trying to do. Because we're not walking in it, living in it. And if you spend time with God, which we'll also talk about in the connecting part today, then when you read a verse, all of a sudden it's like, wow. How many of you have read the Bible more than once? How about more than ten times? 
Okay, those of you that have read it more than 10 times, do you not still come across something and go, oh my goodness, I've never seen that before? Still to this day, I've read it every single year since, I don't know, it's probably 19 or 20, so 17 or 18 times I've read through the Bible. Every single time I come across something and it just, uh, it, it awakens in a new way. And I think, I know I've read that before. I have to have read that before but I've never seen it in that way. That's what God does with his word. Which brings me to my first big question of today. Last week, uh, I gave you takeaways. This, this week, today, I have questions that I want you to kind of uh, ruminate with uh, throughout the week. First one is, how much of your daily life is influenced by the word of God? How often during the day does the word of God come to you? Does something, a principle, a thought from the word of God interrupt your thought process or day? Or, or how interwoven into your day is the word of God? That's my question I have for you. You don't have to obviously answer it out loud or anything right now, but it's something to think about this week. As you walk throughout your week, maybe keep a, uh, a, uh, a mind's eye out for that and, and wonder, man, have I even thought of the word of God today? Because the more you spend with the Word of God, the more it will influence every aspect of your life. This will have a direct correlation to how much life you are drawing from the true vine. If frequently throughout your day, verses are coming to your mind, thoughts that are from God are coming to your mind, and things from the Word of God are, are just interwoven, there's a good chance you're very well connected to the true vine. And he's speaking to you through his word, even throughout your day when you don't have your Bible open in front of you. See, when, when given the appropriate attention, the word of God is incredibly effective. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Understand what that means, that the, the man or woman or boy or girl of God may be complete. You can take this backwards and say, without the word of God, you will never be complete. Without studying the word of God on a regular basis, the man or woman of God cannot be complete. So you may be someone, you love worship, you love biblical community. You love showing up and hanging out with, with God's people. You like going to church. You like worshiping, turning on music, and you'll jam out in your car or in your house and all this stuff. But reading the Word of God, I don't know. I just don't get it. You are not complete until you have begun to really dig into this Word that God has given us. The benefits with, from the Word of God don't happen with just sporadic and occasional perusing so if you're one of those people who just every now and then you feel guilty and so you pick up the word of god and you read a chapter or two or maybe you feel really guilty so you like you read a whole epistle or something like that you read all of philippians or something because you're you know you're feeling really guilty that day but then you put it down you don't pick it up for another couple months or the majority of your scripture reading actually happens on a screen on a sunday morning that is not what we're discussing this morning. 
what we're talking about is saying and taking the word of God and saying this is a priority. This will take precedence in my life. Psalm 119, 10 to 11 says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That doesn't happen from sporadic reading. From every now and then, every few months, we dust it off or we open up that app and we finally actually read something or maybe you get like the, the verse of the day thing. If that's the majority of your Bible reading, man, you're missing out on life that you could be drawing from the true vine. Joshua encouraged the Israelites in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The word of God is not just a book with words in it. Joshua understood that, and man, they only had a a little bit of the Word of God at that point. Just a small portion. God has spoken so much since the, the moment Joshua said that. This has become even more important and relevant since Joshua has spoken this. So my next big question for you. Do you read the Word of God sporadically or as a discipline? Is it a discipline of your life? What do I mean as a discipline? Well, do I think that you have to sit down and read a, you know, a couple chapters every single day? No, that's not what this is saying. There's no law that says what this has to look like. But what I would say is if it's not a discipline, I think that's a problem. I think there should be a discipline in your life. Maybe you don't have a ton of time, and so maybe on your day off is when you really you kind of crack open the commentaries and... Um, if you don't have Bible software, might I recommend Logos Bible software? There's a free version of it. It's fantastic. It's what I use. I don't use a free version, but um, it's really good stuff. And it makes studying and digging into the Word of God very easy to do. But there should be a discipline, a regular discipline of looking into the Word of God and allowing it to speak to you, allowing it to transform you and change you and do a lot of the things that God wants for us. But it must be a discipline, whether that's daily. If For me, it's the first thing. As soon as I wake up, before I even get out of bed, I'm opening the Word of God. and Because I know if I push it off, there's a good chance I won't do it. I get busy, I get distracted, and it's very hard for me to, to create disciplines that just ha- ha- happen randomly throughout the day. For me, disciplines have to be set in a very uh, structured manner, and that's how I can be sure uh, that I'm doing what I should. And so I, you know, I read, I open it up, and I read. You know, right this year we're going through the Bible Project reading plan. Absolutely love it, um, and been going through that. And before any of the excuses that you might have come out about how difficult it can be to read the Word of God, and how when I read it, I just don't understand it. Second Timothy two seven says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I promise you, you read the Word of God, you listen to what the Holy Spirit says, and you will gain greater understanding than any theologian, any pastor, anybody could ever give you. Because when the Holy Spirit, who, with, who is within you, illuminates the Word of God to you, it will hit harder than any words ever could outside of God. 
He will open your mind, but not just your mind, but your heart to what you're reading. And it'll come alive like you've never known in your life before. And if you've never had that experience, some of you, are, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're resonating with it because it's happened to you. And if you don't know, then talk to us. Let me know, and, and we'll pray over you that God would begin to do that. And Because and, I promise you, you don't, have it, you don't have to have a college education. You don't have to have a high school education. You don't have to have any of that. Some, how many of you have, have heard something from one of our kids? That has just blown you away, and it, it's shown you like, wow, these kids get it better than I ever could. I mean, one of the biggest blessings for me, um, just I just want to speak, prop up our children's ministry here at the church right now, because, um, you know, just a little while ago, Killian moved into junior church from the nursery. Uh, and can I just tell you, every single morning this week, the first thing Killian wakes up, are we going to go to church today? Are we going to church today? He's so excited to come and spend time with friends and learn. And he absolutely loves junior church. And he loves, I don't know if you hear him, he calls it the sermon. I don't know why, but for him, that's what he thinks it is. And the whole time, Christina's praying, is it time to go to the sermon yet? He's just so excited to go down. He's so hungry for the word of God. And it's like, man, if I had some of that hunger more in my life, if we had that hunger, that would be a different town. Our church would be a different church if we had that heart, that desire, if we had the faith that, that they have. Uh, I, I, I might have told you the story before. I uh, was getting Killian's toy out of our shed, and I opened up the door, and a bunch of those uh, little pincher bugs scattered everywhere. And Killian, you know, didn't miss a beat. He goes, in the name of Jesus, you get out of here, bugs. I'm like, man, all right. <laughs> Teaching this kid the right things. It was, I just thought it was awesome. And uh, when I had gout, I hurt my foot, and I, uh, Killian was going to get into bed. Usually he jumps on my legs to get into bed, and we have a whole process, and I told him, oh, no, don't, don't jump tonight, my foot hurts. And he just starts praying over my foot. Just immediately starts, Jesus, I pray you, you would bring Dada's foot uh, to 100% healing, and it's just amazing the things that they do, the things that they learn. So I promise you, it, it doesn't take a Bible education. Yes, I have a Bible degree. But some of you have greater insights into the Word of God than and I do because I've, just, I've not lived it. I've not walked it. I haven't heard that from the Holy Spirit like you have. And if you lean into God, He will give you understanding far beyond anything you'll ever get. I love Right Now Media. Uh, if you haven't plugged into Right Now Media yet, you are missing out. Uh, it is a service that we have. Just email me. Say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I heard you say something about Right Now Media. It's basically a Christian Netflix that has thousands and thousands of resources in there to watch bible studies talks on just about every topic you can think of it is fantastic but it cannot replace studying the word of god nothing can replace that when you're connected to the true vine understanding will come and it comes from the lord that's not to say that you can't learn anything from other people certainly that's part of the process uh, like I said, I'm re we're going through the Bible Project reading plan, and some of those videos are absolutely fantastic, and they've taught me a lot of things this year, even as I've watched them. So, studying the Word of God, essential to drawing life from the true vine. Once we've actually begun to make reading the Word of God a discipline in our life and not a sporadic happening, next what we need to do is actually follow what it says, which is... I would argue, where the more difficult part comes in. If you're still struggling with 
picking up the Word of God and getting into it, buckle up. Because once you do, following it is the next most difficult thing, and it's far more difficult than actually just getting into it and studying. Because we probably all have a story or a testimony of where we knew the Word of God was saying something. We knew God was speaking to us, and we just didn't want to do it because it was hard or it would be painful or it was difficult. We just didn't want to do it. Following the Word of God can be even more difficult. John fifteen ten again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice the if. It is actually possible to abide in Christ and not follow his commandments. And there's a fancy theological word for that. It's called miserable. Some of us have been there where we knew God was saying something, we refused to do it, and what a blessed life that was, right? We were miserable. And why? Because we're connected to the true vine, and we're strangling off the life, because we know the life is trying to produce a certain fruit in us, and we don't want that. We don't want patience. We don't want kindness in a certain circumstance, because we want to yell at the person, and we want to be mean to them, and we don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want the life that's coming from the vine. So I would argue, yes, for a short period of time, it is possible to abide and not follow God's commandments. But man, do you know it, because you are just miserable. Everything seems to go wrong. You feel disconnected from God. It is not a fun place to be. But if you can disregard God's commandments and not feel miserable, if you're saying, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've disobeyed God and I didn't really... I wasn't too miserable. I actually kind of had a good time. It was okay. There's a good chance you're not abiding. There's a really good chance, like a 100% chance, you're not abiding. If you can disobey God, if you can live outside of his will and not feel that miserable, that, that nagging weight on you that comes from the Holy Spirit because he's not there. Brings me to my next big question of the day. Do you feel the weight of sin when you disobey God's commands? Do you feel that constant weight of the Holy Spirit saying, we are not in alignment? When the Holy Spirit of God inside of you is, is trying to moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, remind you you're not living in line with God's will, whew, that is not a fun place to be. Most of us, because we tend to be knuckleheads, have lived that for at least for a short period of time, and we've realized, I can't, I can't do this. I cannot go on like this. I must get myself back in line with God. If not, man, that's a big red flag. If you don't feel that nagging weight when you know you're stepping outside of the will of God, that should be a huge red flag for you. We draw life from the true vine by following God's commandments. And so the next big question do god's commandments bring you joy or do you consider them a burden because the word of god says in first john 5 2 and 3 by this we know that we love the children of god when we love god and obey his commandments for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome if you look at what God calls us to do and you think, oh, man, that's miserable. 
love of God may not be in you because when you are a Christian, that's not saying that it's always easy. Like I just said, there have definitely been moments where God said, do this. And I said, no, I don't want to. But then I was miserable. And when I began to obey what God said, it was like, this is life. I don't know why I was resisting this. I don't know why I was trying to tell God no, because now this is where I want to be. God's commandments don't make us miserable. They bring life to us. Just the same way as, as a parent, prom- so many times with Killian, uh, not Kiara yet, too cute and young, uh, but man, with Killian, I know there are times where he just fights and fights and fights against the rules, but then he follows the rules, he does what we tell him, and he has fun, he enjoys himself. And that's where we are many times with God. We fight, we fight, and we fight. And when we just listen to him, we find this is that which is truly life. That's, this is what God was talking about. Now, I do want to dive into something that may seem a little technical this morning. Because if you're somebody who is listening to this and saying, okay, we have to obey God's commandments, and you begin to read the Old Testament, there may be some slight confusion. Uh, I've also seen uh, people say, well, Christians are extremely inconsistent because you have something in the Old Testament, it says don't do this, it says you shouldn't wear clothes made of two different materials, and some of us were probably wearing some polyester cotton blends this morning. Uh, uh, some of us, most of us, uh, we actually shave the hair on our temples, uh, so you know, we're not following the word of God to, to the T. So how, how do we do that? Why do we neglect certain laws, and yet we say we need to follow other laws? How does that work? Uh, some of us may, you know, uh, I know I've had more than one discussion. Um, you can't see them right now, but I have a few tattoos. And by a few, I mean a lot. Uh, and some people will come to me and say, you know, you're not supposed to have tattoos. And I've had that conversation many times. Uh, not only does the Old Testament not say you shouldn't have tattoos, but uh, part of that is, you know, in that same chapter, or same exact section is where it says you shouldn't wear clothes made of the same materials. So do we, how do we know what we should eat? Because we're not supposed to eat pork, we're not supposed to eat shellfish, right? And all these different things, how do we know what that is? So I'm going to give you a very, very brief introduction into this conversation. Uh, Paul covers it pretty clearly in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, so the best way to understand what Paul uh, is saying here to the Galatian church and uh, what you'll find in other portions of the New Testament is uh, you've probably heard the argument that Christ fulfilled the law and you use that phraseology, but you might not know exactly what that means. Uh, I'm going to break it down real quick. Like I said, this is, an, this is a basic introduction to this conversation. So if you want to know more about this, if you're a technical person like me and, you're like, and you really want to know more about it, I encourage you to do a deeper study uh, uh, into this. But there are three types of laws you'll find in the Old Testament. Civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law. Uh, the Israelites would have known the difference between a lot of these. They understood the difference between these. Some were civil, some were ceremonial, and there are moral laws. The civil and ceremonial laws were not so much abolished. Christ didn't come to abolish them. He even says that. He came to fulfill them, to fulfill those uh, in Christ. 
whereas the moral laws are all still in effect. Any of the moral laws you find in the Old Testament are still 100% applicable today. Uh, and if you look at the Ten Commandments, you'll notice they are majority moral law. That's why they still apply. Yeah, you shouldn't murder your neighbor. Um, is that a civil law? Kind of, but it's a little bit of moral law too, that you shouldn't kill your neighbor or you couldn't, shouldn't kill anybody. Um, and there are certain parts of that. And so that's why, and especially if something's repeated in the New Testament, you'll see some of those uh, commandments, some of those things from the Old Testament, and they're always moral law, things that are repeated in the New Testament. Like I said, if you want to do further study, uh, an in-depth study of Galatians and Hebrews is a really good place to start to understand what this all means about moral and civil and ceremonial law. Uh, but I don't want you to be confused by verses like, Romans 7, 6, which says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I've seen people use this to say, We don't have to follow any commandments. We can do whatever we want, and it's all good. Now, Jesus is good with my lifestyle and good with any choices I want to make. Not true. Uh, that is not what this is saying. We're obviously not released from following God's commandments. That was never uh, and certainly not uh, what is being said here in Romans, we're simply not held under the weight of the law as slaves anymore. We're not uh, dependent on the law to keep us corralled and using that to look toward Christ with faith. Now Christ has come. We no longer need the civil and the ceremonial laws. We no longer have to sacrifice and go to the temple in order to worship God. He ripped the curtain. The Holy of Holies no longer contained the presence of God. Those things were fulfilled, not abolished, but fulfilled because they always pointed towards something, and that something was Jesus coming and the Holy Spirit coming into each and every one of our lives. We no longer have to enter the holy, holy, holy of Holies because we have each become the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwells on this earth. Jesus sums it up in this statement in Matthew 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that's Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. For those who would claim they love God, but they don't feel obligated to follow God's commandments, this kind of shows you where Jesus was at with it. Yes, there are commandments. And they are all summed up in this. Love God above all else and love your neighbor. And honestly, if we were righteous enough to live by just that, that'd be enough. There wouldn't be any gray areas. We would totally understand how to live. But we are human. And we constantly try to make excuses for our own sin. And so there are other commandments um, that God gives us in the New Testament and Old Testament alike. A lot of those moral commandments that, base, that all point toward these two commandments, but they help clarify it a little bit because God knows we're constantly going to try to make excuses for our own sin. But for those who might say, I can, I can love God, I can abide in Christ, and not live according to his commandments, John 14, 15 makes it pretty simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't know how much more clear it could possibly be. So if you think I can live any old way I want, 
I can completely disregard what the Bible says, and I can still be a Christian, I would love to hear you define this verse for me. Help me understand what this means. Because God's being very, very clear. Either you love him and obey his commandments, or you don't. It's pretty black and white to him. Jesus makes another statement in John 15, which is the last way that we're going to talk about drawing life from the true vine today. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in his love. What does that mean? As you read that, what does it mean to abide in the love of God? This is what I would argue, the aspect of abiding which is most overlooked. Many of you very much resonate with study the word of God, obey the word of God. Got it, pastor. Totally agree. I'm with you 100% there. Totally understand what you're saying. It's a whole lot easier to check the boxes of tangible things like read your Bible, obey the commandments, go to church, do this, don't do that. We like that, most of us. It's much easier, it's cleaner, it's easier to deal with. It's much more difficult to know if you're resting in the love of God. Unless you are. If you are resting in the love of God, you know it. You know what that's like. Many of you, I would, I would guess, have probably been in that place where you're wondering, thinking, I feel pretty good. I feel close to God. And then God shows up. He manifests himself in some way. And you realize, man, I was living a lie. There is nothing like this when God reveals himself to me, when we connect again with God. Now, I'm going to talk about two different things. There's abiding, which is, I believe, salvation. And then there's what we're talking about now is actually connecting, keeping that connection up. Um, Most of us uh, are married in the room. We know the difference between being married and connecting with our spouse. Uh, Just because you're married doesn't mean you're always connecting and on the same page. Um, That takes a lot of work to be on the same page, to be together, to be united as one on a regular basis. It's very easy. Uh, My experience in marriage, it can happen within a week of of just kind of ignoring the work and just getting focused on yourself, getting focused on what you're doing, and all of a sudden you feel totally out of sync with your spouse. See, the thing with abiding in Christ's love, there aren't any boxes to check. There aren't any formulas to follow. This is why for some of you this is so frustrating because you just want someone to tell you how. You just want the five-step program. You just want the 12-step program to connecting with God and you would be good because you'd just continue to check those boxes and you'd be diligent at it. It'd be a discipline. You'd be faithful with checking those boxes. But because it's more ambiguous, because there is no formula set formula to do this you get frustrated see i can't sit here like some people do and tell you if you just do this you'll connect with god i'm i can't do that because i've learned too much about connecting with god to think that i can very simply just say if you do this you will connect with god no no questions no doubt you will there are some things like we've already talked about 
reading the word of God, studying the word of God, obeying his commandments that help us get there, but it's not a 100%. If you pick up the word of God, man, you're going to have a moment. You're going to be on your knees. You'll be weeping. It'll be, it'll be snot flying. Like, it'll be amazing. I can't tell you that. See, God created us all differently. And many of us connect with God differently. If you're sitting here this morning and you're already getting a little anxious and saying, well, if you're saying that people can't have those beautiful moments if they, if they don't do what I think is important, that's kind of the problem that we've had in the church is people take their way of connecting with God and say, nobody's spiritual unless they do it my way. You're not as holy as I am if you don't connect with God. If, if worship music doesn't move you like it moves me, well, then you must not have as good a connection with God. If when you open the word of God, it's not every single time this snot-flying awesome experience with God, then you're just not as holy as I am. If, if you can't sit in a quiet room in, in a prayer closet and just meet with God uh, and, and just have these Holy Spirit manifest moments, then you're just not as holy as I am. We've done that. We continue to do it. That's called self-righteousness, and it's wrong. God created each and every one of us differently, and each and every one of us connect with him differently. We don't connect with a different God. We connect with the same God. But there's more than one path up a mountain, and we need to understand that as a church. If music is your thing, then sing your heart out. Worship with every ounce of your being. Connect with him that way. If nature is your thing, then get out in nature and experience God there. That's one of my ways. If silence and solitude is your thing, don't come to my house. You won't find it there. I don't connect with God that way. That's not, certainly not one of my ways that I connect with God. Not to say that I've never have connected with him that way, but that's not one of my regular paths. Each of you has a regular well-worn path you should into connecting with god others other paths god will use from time to time but that's not the way he's created you he's wired you to connect some of you with the worship this morning man you were there right you were you were in the presence of god others of you are thinking oh the words haven't turned yet i missed a word what's going on here I don't know. I'm trying to trying to get this song. I'm trying to read it. I don't really get the lyrics. I don't understand. Why did we repeat that three times? You're, this is not your way. Some of you, you love to be in a prayer closet. You love to get alone and just complete quiet. And you meet with God there and he meets with you. Others, like me, you sit in a quiet room and you hear every little noise. And that's what you focus on. And the last thing is connecting with God in that quiet place. We each are just created in different ways, and we each connect with God in different ways. There was a great book we did a series on a while back, if some of you remember it. It was called Sacred Pathways. If this is new material to you, or if you're struggling with this and thinking, I don't agree with this, pick up Sacred Pathways, read the book, and get new understanding. Uh, and if you're new to this, pick it up, read it because it helps you understand the many different ways that we each connect with God. And if you don't know the ways, if you're having one of those dry seasons, if you're having one of those uh, tough times in your life, and you don't know your well-worn paths to God, I, I pity you in a way. Because that's the only thing that keeps me going, is knowing, man, when I'm having one of those weeks, 
this is, I have to do this. And nine times out of ten, it's I don't want to do it. I don't want to do that thing which helps me connect with God. And I force myself to do it, and it's some of the best moments I've had in my life is when I force myself to go that path that I know helps me connect with God. And so, as the AV team has already helped me to get to my next point, they must be trying to rush me. How do you connect with God? If you don't know, figure it out. This is so essential and so overlooked often in the church that we'll check the boxes, but because this one doesn't have a formula, this one doesn't have a measurable way to, to measure it, we, we kind of leave it off because it's hard to, to, to teach this one. But I'll tell you, if you have a disciple and you haven't helped them understand your way of connecting with God in hopes that maybe they'll resonate with it, that's what discipleship's all about. It's helping others experience God. And so uh, my hope is it's really nice when your disciple connects with God the same way you do because it's like, oh, cool, we can do this together. Uh, you want to go sit on a kayak and we can talk about God and we can, you know, fellowship because that's how I connect with God. Or, you know, uh, that's, that's a whole lot easier. Helping them walk through that, it's a lot more difficult. But it's necessary. Whatever way you connect with God, do it often. It shouldn't be like a once a year thing. If, if you're, uh, I know I keep using my own, but uh, if you're a nature worshiper like me and you only get out in nature once a year, you're robbing yourself. If worship music is, you know, if you're a worshiper, if, if that's your thing, is you love to worship through song, and you're not frequently putting aside time to just sit with worship music and praise God, you're robbing yourself. See, the, uh, James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This concept, it, all we have to do is begin to pursue God. Have you ever felt like God's distant from you? You felt like, oh man, I feel like God's just like, he's, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. They're not getting to him. I just don't feel him right now. It always makes me think of that analogy of the couple who stops at the stop sign and the four-way stop sign. And there's the one couple in the truck uh, across from them and they're right up against each other. And um, they, you know, all lovey-dovey. And the wife says to the husband who's driving, she says, remember when, when we used to connect like when we used to be together like that? What happened? And he says, well, I didn't move. The driver didn't move. The passenger did. Now, that was, this is way back in the day when they used to have those long seats that you could actually sit next to each other. So some of you, it's just, it's, it's beyond you. It's beyond me, honestly. I just know those exist. <laughs> but that's where we need to be connecting with God. And we, uh, we use the English word worship, and very often I'll even refer to the musical portion of our service as the worship portion, but it doesn't just mean music. This is you resting in the love of Christ. Anytime you see in, in the New Testament, especially where it says something about worship, it doesn't always mean the same thing. It's not always the same. Very often it includes music, but that's not the sum total of it. It's resting in the love of God, acknowledging His greatness, and realizing our desperate dependency on him. And I can't and I won't tell you what that has to look like. To tell you if it doesn't look like this, then you're not worshiping God. That's just not very intelligent of me. Because you don't have to connect with God the same way I do. You have to connect with the same God I do. Just not the same way. And if you're wondering how, how could I possibly figure it out? Try it. 
try. If you don't know how you connect with God, go sit in a quiet room and pray. Talk to him. Try to have that conversation. Try to meet with him there. Maybe that's the way you connect with him. Maybe you just need to get alone and turn on some worship music. Maybe you need to get a couple people together and you worship through some songs together and you worship together. Maybe you need to just go sit in a kayak and try to have a conversation with God or go up on a mountaintop and just try to talk to him. Maybe you need to sit down and write out some songs or try to write a poem, try to write a psalm like David did. I, I can't tell you how you connect with God. I can simply encourage you to do it. John four twenty four, Jesus says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you know the story, Jesus has just met the woman in the well, or more importantly, the woman at the well has just met Jesus. And he's explaining to her this concept that uh, she's frustrated because she's a Samaritan, and she can't go to the temple as easily as, uh, as the normal uh, Jewish people, the nation of Israel can. And she wonders, like, well, I can't go to the temple. And Jesus is saying, that's about to be done away with. This legalistic form of worship, this, this having to go somewhere, this having to check boxes and follow laws and, and do all these things in, 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 in order to worship God, that's going away. Pretty soon the Spirit of God is going to be inside of you and you'll worship with Him. In communion with the Spirit, you will worship me in spirit and truth. What an awesome truth to know. How many of you are blessed by the reality that you don't have to go to Israel and go to the temple in order to worship God once a year? I know I am. I would encourage you to go to Israel at least once in your life. It was amazing. But you can worship God right here, which is why you'll find me, uh, I, don't, I don't find a whole lot of uh, special significance to any one place, whether it be a sanctuary here or, or you know, the greatest church in America. I, I don't care. I'll worship God in my bathroom in, in spirit and in truth. It does, I don't need to be anywhere special for that. And that's what Jesus was getting at. Now, some of you are traditionalists, if you remember Sacred Pathways, and so this room does hold special significance to you. This does have special meaning because that's how you worship God, and that is awesome. You should connect with God. Uh, I know there's at least one person in our church who has made uh, a decision to come and pray in this sanctuary on a weekly basis. Maybe God's calling you to do that too. Maybe God's calling you to join him in that because you're a traditionalist and you love the, ideas, uh, the idea of the altar and the church and this part of it. And maybe you don't have to be a traditionalist to love that, to be passionate about that. But maybe God's calling you to connect that way. I say however it is your heart connects with God is the best way. However you connect is the best way. I want you to listen to Miss Donna Hilliard, um, she doesn't know she hasn't done a screen again today, but she is, uh, and how she talks about God being her spiritual uh, command center. My daughter recently was down at uh, Florida and was in the Kennedy Space Center, and she was saying everything that was going on there and that how it is the control center. An astronaut, astronaut does not go out unless... He, got, he has the okay from that control center. And sometimes I think that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is like our spiritual control center. He's the one that we can go to and stay abiding in there, and he'll bless us. And it's not that we're perfect, because none of us are perfect, and we fail, but that's when Father comes along and can prune us a little bit, 
but i really believe that and the thing is too with a byron we don't have to be concerned about every detail of our future our future is in god's hands and as long as we're abiding he understands that we're human we make mistakes but that's where forgiveness comes in and and when we're abiding and and be as obedient i think as we can be but we don't have to worry amen somebody with a few more years of experience under their belt talking about how we need to be connected just like the astronauts in the Kennedy Space Center, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything without the okay from God. They have to be connected. And I have never been an astronaut, but I could imagine if they're in that shuttle and they're launching and, or they're in space and they realize they have lost connection, that's going to be some stressful time for them because they realize we don't have that. And I think if you've never read... Uh, Pete Scazzaro's uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he talks about the dark night of the soul and that the reality that there are going to be times where we just, we don't feel God. We don't connect with him. We feel like he's distant. We feel like that connection just isn't right. It's not there as Christians. And that's a hard time. That's a difficult time. And if you've never felt that tension, then you might need to spend some more time with him so that you can feel the difference when he's not there. It is impossible to live the Christian life without staying connected to the true vine. If you haven't created a discipline of reading your Bible, don't wait another day. Make today the day you begin that new discipline. If you haven't created a discipline of obeying God's commands and listening to what he says, actually putting into practice, if you know God has been speaking something to you that you need to do or you need to stop doing, today is the day. And if you haven't created a discipline of connecting with him on a regular basis, you are robbing yourself of life, of that life-giving spirit. Don't wait another day. If you need help on any of these things, studying the word of God, if you need help on following his commands, if you need help on how to connect with God, reach out to us. It is literally why we exist as a church, <laughs> is to do that. Don't feel embarrassed. I don't care if you've, been, if you've known Jesus for 432 years and you still don't know how to connect with him. Don't let pride keep you from asking, hey, I don't really know how it is I best connect with God. All right, let's dig into this. Let's figure this out. I promise you I will not judge anybody for that. What an exciting thing it would be for anybody to begin to pursue that in their life. If you've wondered why you feel distant from God, or why you don't seem to hear him or experience him like others. If you hear stories of others connecting with God, if you hear these stories of people saying they had a manifest moment with God, or they had that moment where they were just wrecked by the Holy Spirit and you know snot was flying and all these things were happening, ask yourself, how much life am I drawing from the true vine? How much is this actually affecting my everyday life? And how much am I trying to pull life from another vine, from some other source that I think is life, whether it's success, whether it's the American dream, whether it's status, whatever that vine is you're trying to pull life from. Maybe, maybe it's financial success. And you wonder why you don't feel connected to God. How much life 
will you draw from the true vine this week? How much of your week will be absolutely dependent on your connection with God? I can't answer that for you, but let's pray. Lord, the reality is we need you. Some of us are a a little more acutely aware of that than others. But the reality is we are all desperately dependent on you, God. We must abide in you because we don't know any other way. And as we abide, we must study your word, follow its commands, and connect with you on a regular basis basis or we are miserable we feel the difference god i pray against that slow fade the enemy tries to put us on that slow fade of slowly uh, releasing us from those disciplines of the faith so that we don't notice the the huge gap in the difference that we have lord i pray for moments this week for some of us that we would experience you in a powerful way to remind us that's what it's like to connect to you that's what it's like to draw life from the true vine some of us have been on a slow fade for days for weeks for months for decades we have forgotten just what it's like to connect with you in a way that rocks our world and changes everything Lord, for those in this room or those that might be watching who have never experienced that, who have never had that moment where everything else faded into the background and you were the only thing of importance in that moment and we felt your presence heavier than anything we've ever felt it, Lord, I pray they would have that first experience this week, especially as we begin uh, to prepare to talk about the Holy Spirit next week, God. I pray for those experiences this week. I pray for each and every one of us from the most disciplined to the least that we would have disciplines that lead us constantly and frequently into your presence and we would draw every ounce of life from you this week and that we would never go back to drawing life from any other source. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church, thank you. And we will head over there. We're gonna try to pray probably in the next 10 minutes. Uh, 10 to 15 minutes. By 12.15, we will be praying and beginning our potluck. So head on over.